Now, I have a question for you, church family. How many of you like surprises? A couple people, all right, Esther, all right, a, a few. How many of you don't like surprises? All right, uh, a few of you as well. Now, if someone asked me that question, I would answer with, it depends. It depends, right? It depends on, on what kind of surprise we're talking about. If, if I was in school, young people, some of you are in school, if your teacher shows up and they show up with a surprise quiz, I wouldn't really like that surprise, right? Uh, you know, I, I like a little preparation ahead of time. If someone shows up maybe at my house and I don't know them very well, they're kind of a stranger, and my house is a disaster, and we have three small children, that happens a lot, you know, I might not like that surprise quite as much. There's some prizes that maybe not that great, but, but there's some surprises that are wonderful. I'll, I'll share with you one of them. Uh, a few years back, in 2019, I graduated from the, uh, the seminary for, with my master's degree. But there I was uh, at graduation. I, I, my family and I had moved back from California to uh, go to Andrews University. And we were there for two years. Really enjoyed our time there. And at the end, I was graduating with my master's degree. And of course, my parents came out. They were living in California. And I appreciated their presence at my graduation. And I really was hoping that my brother could come. My brother Jonathan is not just my brother, but he's one of my friends as well. One of my good friends. Uh, I was hoping that Jonathan could come, but I was thinking that he probably wouldn't be able to. And sure enough, he couldn't come because he was a physician and actually a, a resident at Loma Linda. And the physicians here know when you're in your residency, it's busy. He was busy every weekend, and they work them uh, a lot there in their residencies. And so, sure enough, he said, you know what, uh, my, my work schedule uh, is not going to allow me to come. He told me that early on. Unbeknownst to me, later... Because I never got around to asking him, like, are you sure you can't come? He told me early on my schedule won't allow it, and I believed him. But as time went on, he started conniving uh, and thought, you know what, that'd be so cool if I could try to make it to his graduation and surprise him. And so he was able to, to finesse his schedule. He, you know, only got like 24 hours off, but he was able to, to fly out there for the graduation. He flew in like a red eye late Saturday night, you know, after Sabbath and came in that Monday, Sunday morning and then flew back Sunday night. But I didn't know any of this. Uh, I remember uh, at our house, uh, we had a basement and uh, my brother Jonathan had connived with my parents uh, for this surprise. While I was doing something else, another part of the house, somehow he had quickly snuck through the front door down to the basement and was in the basement waiting for the right time. And I'm there before graduation. You know, I'm about to go down. I think my parents... Or my wife or someone was like, yeah, you know, go downstairs. Can you get this for us? Sure. So I go to open the door and Jonathan pops out. Surprise. And my, uh, my brother is there. And it was a wonderful surprise because I love my brother. He was one of my friends and I was so glad that he was able to make it to my graduation. But you know what would have made that story different is if a stranger that I had no connection with had popped up. That'd be different, right? Or maybe an old high school classmate that I hadn't seen for like 15 years, 20 years, you know, uh, or someone, you know, from a long time ago, they pop up and say, hey, I'm here. I'm like, oh, hey, what's your name again? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's been a long time. And your connection with and relationship to the surprise makes a big difference. If a teacher surprises me with a test, if I know the material, it's no problem. If I have a good relationship with that material and I've studied it, uh, no, no, the surprise is no problem at all. 
If the person surprising me is someone that I love and care for, no problem. If my mom shows up to our house and our house is a disaster, we don't care. She's our mom, right? She understands. Your relationship to that person makes all the difference in the world. Friends, I don't think we need a reminder that our relationship with Jesus makes all the difference for the surprise that is coming. And it's going to be a surprise. Notice here, we'll go to scripture in just a minute, but notice this quotation from Testimonies of the Church. Transgression has almost reached its limit. And imagine this being written a long time ago. Confusion fills the world. Wow, imagine so much more today. Great terror is soon to come upon human beings. The end is very near. We who know the truth should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. Now, with that in mind, I want us to turn in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. Let's go ahead and grab our Bibles out. We're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture today. And let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And Paul gives us some language that probably a lot of us are familiar with if we've read Paul's writings before. He says, Concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you. You know this stuff, he says. For you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord comes as a what? A thief in the night. Now we know this as we've attended prophecy seminars before that the timing is why Jesus is coming like a thief but not the manner of his coming. Did you catch that? A thief, the manner of his coming is silently. I sure hope that a thief wouldn't come with his loud snare drum and his trumpet. I am here, 2 a.m. in the morning. Surprise. The manner is silent but that's, that's not how Paul is comparing Jesus is coming to. He's coming to, he's comparing his coming to a thief because of the timing. A, a, a thief comes and doesn't announce his coming, right? It's very rare for a thief to, to call you up and say, hey, I'm just let you know, mark this on your calendar. Uh, next week, about Tuesday, about 2 a.m., I'm gonna show up at your house and steal your television, right? That, that, that doesn't happen. A thief comes and doesn't announce his coming. It's a surprise. And so in the same way, Jesus is not going to let us know exactly when his coming is going to be. Only the Father, in fact, knows the timing. He comes as a thief in the night. Verse three, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. Friends, unfortunately, as the confusion in our world increases, as things get worse, not better, people, according to scripture, and we see this, are going to say, it's all right, it's good, this is great. Peace and safety, things are okay, but things aren't okay. And when suddenly everyone thinks, hey, it's okay. Just like Noah preached 120 years, it's gonna rain, it's gonna rain, it's gonna rain. This is gonna happen, it's gonna rain. Whatever, it's great. There's never been rain before. Jesus is not coming back and suddenly the rain came and they weren't prepared. But notice verse four, friends. Verse four is is to us, is to Christians, to, to Adventists, to those that believe in scripture and in Christ. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day, the second coming, should overtake you as a thief. It doesn't have to be a surprise to you, he's saying. It doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to come as a thief in the night to you. You are all sons and of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night. We're not of the darkness. Therefore, here's Paul's advice. Because Jesus is coming soon, because his coming is like an overwhelming surprise, we don't know when it's going to be. Because of that, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Because Jesus is coming soon, Paul invites us to, to watch, to be sober, to be people that don't spiritually sleep, Paul says. 
I heard the story of Napoleon Bonaparte, and he was looking at a, a map, and with a, a growl on his face, he points to, to China. And he basically says something to the effect of beware, because right now, China is sleeping, but if she awakes, she will shake the world, Napoleon Bonaparte said. And I believe, friends, that Satan has his finger on the church. And he knows that we are in a Laodicean sleepy condition. And he says, beware. If the church wakes up, if she wakes up, she's going to shake the world. we got to keep the church asleep. And so he does whatever he can to lull us to sleep. We've got time. We've got time. God's not going to come for a long time. We have time. I believe, friends, that we need to arouse out of our sleep. We need to wake up because Jesus is coming very, very soon. Notice what we're told here in the great controversy. We're living in the most solemn period of earth's history. The destiny of earth's teeming multitudes is about to be decided. Wow. The people right now that are driving on Asheville Highway, going to the AutoZone or O'Reilly's or going down to a Mexican restaurant or going this way, the, the, the people outside of this church and, and unfortunately some in this church, our destiny is going to be decided and ultimately it is all of us, right? Our own future well-being and the salvation of souls depends upon the course which we now pursue. We need to be guided by the spirit of truth. Every follower of Christ should earnestly inquire. This is the question that we should be asking ourselves. Lord, what do you want me to do? That's a good question. It's a basic question, but it's a good one. God, what do you want me to do? How can I prepare for your soon return? As a father, what can I do to prepare? As a teacher, as a physician, as a whatever career you have, as a church member, as a, a deacon, as an elder, as we can go on and on. But Lord, what do you want me to do? And one day I was, I was asking God that question, God, how do I prepare? And ultimately, as I was thinking about that, the Holy Spirit led me to search the scriptures to answer that question. That's a good idea, right? We're not interested in people's opinions. I've got a lot of opinions. Do you have opinions? I've got opinions. And I like my opinions. You like your opinions. But Ultimately, my opinions and your opinions are not safe, but the Bible's opinions are. So if we ask the question, how do we prepare for the second coming, right? And I, we ask that all the time to kids. How do you prepare? Read the Bible, pray. Those are all good answers, right? They are. But I want to I was curious, what does the Bible actually have to say about how to prepare? And so I, I went through and compiled a list of all of the scriptures that I could think of that have to do about the second coming. And there's a lot of them. In, in fact, out of the 8,000 verses in the New Testament, does anyone know how many of those have to do with the second coming? And I don't know the exact number, but, but it's one in every 25. So 8,000 verses, 25 verses about the second coming. Another 25 verses, second coming. Another 25, second coming. The New Testament talks about it a lot, right? We're Seventh-day Adventists. We're Sabbath-keeping, second-coming, excited people, right? That's who we are. And so ultimately what we want to do this morning is we want to look in Scripture and say, God, how do we prepare, not based on my opinions, but based on, on what the Bible says? And as I went through these Scriptures, I realized, you know, there's really a pattern. All of these verses are pretty similar, and, and those verses are pretty similar. And, and you know, you could probably lump these together. And ultimately God led me to 10 different principles or steps of how we can prepare. And these aren't coming from, this is, this is from Scripture. Some of them couldn't be lumped together toward the end, but I want to look at some of these verses and look at these 10 different principles asking the question, Lord, how do we prepare? Uh, over the next couple of weeks to say, God, how can I prepare? And, and I believe that as we do that as a church, God will guide us. So the first uh, set of verses there, there's about 16 or so, um, were very similar. Ones that kind of maybe we're similar to what our scripture reading was. To watch, to don't sleep, be, be sober, be ready, be, be patient. Keep your eyes to the skies. 
I had a professor once that would always sign his emails like that, eyes to the skies. I like that. Always be waiting and watching because Jesus is coming very soon. And let's look at a couple of these passages here. Let's go to Luke 21, verse 28. We'll start back in verse 25. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and the, on the earth distress of nations. Do we see the distress of nations today? So much, so much. With perplexity, the sea and the waves are roaring. Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectations of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, are they beginning to happen? Yes. All right, what's our advice? What should we do? Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Here's the second coming, but also what should we do? And each of these verses had some material about the second coming, but also some advice. What do we do? Well, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. Let's go ahead and, and look at another one here. Let's go to Romans 13, 11. Romans 13, 11. I'll go ahead and read it. Do this, knowing the time. So this is what we should do. Knowing the time that we're living in, knowing that the second coming is coming soon. And before we read the advice, look at the last part of the verse. It says, our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Every single day brings us one day closer to the soon return of Jesus. And because Jesus is coming soon, what should we do? Paul says, it is high time to awake out of sleep. And friends, I want us to ask a very specific question. And that is, are we spiritually sleeping? I know that I can look at times in my life and say, I was spiritually sleeping. Yes, I'm going through the motions, maybe I'm spending time with God or you know, coming to church, but I'm going through the motions. And going through the motions, friends, won't save us. We need to have a daily living relationship with Jesus, where he becomes more important than other things. And that is a conviction to me. Lord, I need to make you first, last, and best in everything. I challenge us to Ask that question, God, am I sleeping and how do I awake out of sleep? Some of you have read the book, Pilgrim's Progress. In the book, Christian, the young man who's on his way to the celestial city, is walking along and there's different illustrations that come up in the book that teach him. And, and one of those is he's at a, a palace. He is being shown by the, the keeper of that palace uh, he's being shown different rooms, and, and these rooms have different lessons. And, and, and one room has a sign above the door that says, the muckrake man. So remember that, the muckrake man. And inside, Christian walks inside to this room, and there's this man that is constantly sweeping and, and raking the dirt, just raking the dirt over and over. There's, there's dirt and filth and, and muck in this entire room, and he's constantly raking it. And the entire time, above his head, an angel holds a golden crown. And Christian asks, why does he put the golden crown on? It's beautiful. It, it, it it's, will give him life. It, it will clean him up. And the man tells Christian because he's more interested in raking the muck than he is the crown. Friends, are we content with the things of this earth so much so that our heads are down and we're involved in this project and that project a whole time? A crown is above our heads and Jesus is saying, I want you to be involved in spiritual things and heavenly things. God invites us to watch. There's more verses, but we'll continue. The second set of passages I felt like had the theme of 
what I called examining yourself. And you could call it different things, but a lot of these verses talked about repenting. We could call it sanctification, living righteously, living godly lives, being blameless, being, being holy. And I have learned, friends, that perfection looks a lot more like having the love of Jesus in your heart than anything else. And I believe, friends, that God desires us to have a, 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 a mind that is like Christ. That's what Philippians says. Have the mind of Jesus. How can we live godly, righteous lives? Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, start out in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, the timing, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. This is how we know that God's second coming is not going to be quiet. It's not a secret rapture. There's not going to be some of us that are suddenly caught away. It's going to be loud. And one of the loudest instruments that my family did not let me play when I was a kid was the trumpet, right? Praise God. I love the brass section. My mom was like, yeah, let's get you playing the piano or something else. There's going to be a loud trumpet, the loudest trumpet that has been known to mankind so loud that the dead in Christ will wake up and Jesus will come back. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Friends, we are not going to be able to take our things with us to heaven. We're not going to be able to take our air fryer with us to heaven. Praise the Lord for air fryers. We're not going to be able to take our Vitamixes to heaven. Mm, thank the Lord for a Vitamix. They won't come with us to heaven, friends. We won't take our, our iPhones and our houses and our cars and our basketballs and our boats and the list could go on and on. It's all going to burn. I've told you this before. My dad always told me that growing up. He told us kids, when we started to get caught up in material things, kids, it's going to burn one day. You're not going to have that. You can go ahead and work for it right now. Yes, you can enjoy it, but it's all going to burn. So because it's all going to burn up, if this world is not our home, if you look at eternity and our time on planet Earth is not even a period, it's not even an iota, it's not even a dot compared to the scope of eternity, if that is the case, how should we live? What should we do? That's the question that we're asking ourselves, and Peter gives us an answer in verse 11. Look at what Peter says. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, because this earth is not your home, because everything is going to be burned up, because of that, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? How should you live your lives? Jumping down to verse 14, he says, Therefore, Therefore, because the earth is going to be burned up, looking forward to these things, what should we do? Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. I believe, friends, that Jesus desires us to be holy as he is holy. And that holiness, as Pastor Wright has been sharing with us, is the righteousness of Christ that needs to be imparted to us. And as we spend time at the feet of Jesus, we become more and more like him. We cannot become holy by ourselves, but through his holiness. Examine yourself. We should pray along with David, Lord, search my heart. Is there any wicked way in me? Is there anything in my heart that is against you and your word? And Lord, I want to get rid of that. Number three, there are a lot of verses that says the Lord's coming soon. So because of that, we should actually tell other people. We should shine that light. And there are so many people, friends, in Hendersonville, in this area, that will not be saved unless for you. When you share with them 
the love of Jesus. Let's look at a few of these verses. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24. While we're turning to Matthew 24, if you remember, it's starred there on the screen. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, Paul says, I preached about this a few weeks ago, what is my hope and joy and crown of rejoicing? Isn't it even you at his soon return? And so the best way, friends, that we can prepare is by sharing with other people the love that is found in Jesus. I love what uh, Taj Pakleb's ministry motto is, populating heaven one soul at a time. I believe, friends, that God wants us to do just that. Matthew 24, verse 14, notice this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. God wants everyone to hear about him before he comes back. Look there at verse 45. As I was studying Matthew 24, which is so much about the second coming, at first I wouldn't have lumped verse 45 together with this category of share, but look at, look at this parable that Jesus tells of the faithful servant and the evil servant. He talks about a, a master that goes away, and he leaves his faithful servant in charge of his, 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 his home and his people, and look verse 45. It says, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them what in due season? To give them food. I believe, friends, that we have spiritual food that other people need. And too many times we fill our refrigerators and our cupboards with that spiritual food and we hog all the spiritual veggie links and we don't pass them out. And unfortunately, friends, when that happens, when you start taking all of the food and you eat all of the food yourselves and you don't give it away, what happens? And I believe, friends, that one of the best ways to stay spiritually fit is to give away the food, is to give other people this incredible message that Jesus is the bread, that he is coming soon, that the word of God is the only thing that you can stand on. I believe that God wants us to do just that. I read a a story this past week um, about a lady named Cheryl Erickson. 23 years ago, Cheryl uh, took on the task of growing pumpkins. They live on a farm in North Dakota, and she wanted to experiment in specialty crops because the current crop that they were uh, uh, using and growing wasn't yielding quite as much as they would like. And so after researching different specialty crops, the Ericsons landed on pumpkins. And the first year, Erickson planted an acre of pumpkins, which amounted to 400 hills with five seeds per hill. The job labor was intensive, but at harvest time, she sold 1,100 beautiful pumpkins to the local grocery store. Her experiment was a success, but the labor was a little bit too intense to turn into a full-time crop. There was too much labor, too much work, and so they decided, you know, maybe that's not the best crop to do, but they decided, let's keep on doing it, and instead of actually using this for ourselves, let's keep on growing these pumpkins because we know how to do it, and let's use that money for overseas missions. It's a good idea. So when a local pastor suggested that she give the profits to build churches in India, the next spring, Erickson planted another crop of pumpkins, and at the fall, she harvested 5,000 pumpkins. And here's the amazing thing. From then on, once she committed that pumpkin crop to build churches in India, despite the frost or despite any weather conditions, she always had a prolific crop of pumpkins. She considered them a direct blessing from God because whether there was water to grow them or not, they always turned out in abundance. 
Erickson says, I have had everything go wrong in my pumpkin patch. Some years it was wet, I couldn't drive in the field. Other years the drought was so bad that all I could see was withered plants. One year the plants had barely come up when the whole field froze, but miraculously they all came back from the roots. Every time I had a crisis, God was there to solve the problem. And over the next 21 years, Erickson raised over $200,000 to build churches in all over the world. Isn't that beautiful, friends? As I read that story, I was convicted, Lord, how can I give more of my time, my energy, my resources for your soon return? Because Jesus is coming soon, friends. So who's the next pumpkin lady here at the Hendersonville Church or pumpkin man? What can we do to give our resources to God? Number four, there were several passages, but about deception. When Jesus is about to come back prior to the soon return, the Bible warns us that Satan is going to try to deceive us. So beware of false prophets, come out of Babylon, signs of the times, things about the the Antichrist. Since we're there in Matthew, why don't we look uh, there in verse 24. Matthew uh, 24 and verse uh, 24 says, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even whom? The elect. If you know you're being deceived, that's not deception, right? Like the only way that you're deceived is if you don't know you're being deceived. And Satan, friends, is going to try to deceive. They don't know they're being deceived, but is going to try to deceive the elect. That's us. And that means, friends, that if we're at risk of deception, how much more is the world at risk of deception? And we need to be ourselves on guard and also preparing our friends and neighbors to be on guard against the devil's deceptions. How do we do that? How do we guard against deception? How do we guard against temptation? One of my favorite quotes, uh, Mrs. White says that strength to resist temptation is gained by aggressive service. If you want to not be deceived and and you want to resist against temptation, go be a pumpkin lady, right? Go use your talents to help someone else. Go share literature. Go smile at someone at the store. Go to the store and pick someone out and say, you know what, I'm going to give them $100 and bless them today and and give them steps to Christ. I I read of a, a story of a lady She was in her uh, early 90s, still living by herself, and she had some shoulder problems, and she purposefully would go to the grocery store for this reason. She would go to the grocery store, be walking along the can aisle, and she couldn't reach the top cans, and and she would wait there until someone would come by. And as someone would come by, she would say, excuse me, can you reach that can of beans up there? I can't quite get it. Oh, yeah, of course. Who doesn't want to help someone in their early 90s? And so they would help this person, and then this sweet lady would say, thank you so much for helping me. She would grab their arm and pull out of her purse a Steps to Christ as a gift for you helping me. Here's a step to Christ. And she would do that over and over. Isn't that a great idea? So we don't have to be limited by our disabilities. We can use all of our talents for his honor and glory. And I believe, friends, that one of the ways that we cannot be deceived is by sharing and is by getting involved in service. I was reading uh, this past week um, from a devotional book that we often read to our kids, and there was a gentleman who uh, was excited about buying a whole bunch of evergreen trees for his yard. They looked beautiful. They were uh, green, almost looked like Christmas trees, and and, uh, they had a, a gunny sack wrapped around the bottom, and they were only selling for $5 a tree, and this man thought, this is the best deal ever. And so he takes, you know, buys a whole bunch of these trees, like 15 of these trees, plants them all, and starts watering them. 
And little by little, one by one, they all start dying, every single one of them. What's going on? His neighbors told him, you're watering him too much. Maybe back off the watering. So he backed off the watering. And still, they kept on dying. And pretty soon, every single one was crisp. It was dry. And finally, he said, man, I'm going to have to get rid of these things. So he dug up the, the first tree. And as he dug it up, and he unwrapped that gunny sack, he realized that there were no roots. That it was a Christmas tree that had been cut off and gunny sack wrapped around it. And he dug up the next one, the same thing. And the next one, the same thing. Pretty soon that man realized that he had been duped. He had been deceived. And friends, sometimes the devil does the same thing to us. He packages something and makes it look so nice. Here, take a look at this. Young people, he does this the most, I think, to our young people today. Hey, look at this, look, it looks so nice. And then when you open up the package, you realize that there's no roots. And I pray, friends, that we can keep our eyes on Jesus and that we can keep our eyes on his word in order to not be deceived. Number five, the good news is that we can't do it by ourselves. We cannot prepare it by ourselves. Our goal is to go to Jesus and say, Lord, I need help. Please prepare me. And there's a lot of uh, verses here. Let's go ahead and go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 7. So that you may come short in no gift, eagerly waiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the second coming, verse 7. We're waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So who helps us be blameless? Who confirms us to the end? Jesus does. And I love that. There were several passages that God is the one that will help us. We can't do it by ourselves. Number six, a lot of verses talking about abiding in him. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. 1 John is one of my favorite books. And now, little children, what should we do? Abide in him. That when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. How do we have confidence and how do we not be ashamed at his coming? That's a good question. How do we have confidence? When Jesus comes back, we say, yes, come, Lord Jesus, come. How do when someone asks him, if someone came up to you and asked, are you sure of your salvation? You can say, I have confidence in Jesus. How can we have a surety of salvation? How can we have confidence to stand before him blameless at his soon return? The key is, 1 John tells us, verse 28, abide in him. That is the key, friends. We've heard these statistics before, but the average American and this actually has gone up, consumes 65% of their day on media. 65%. The average American spends 4.7 hours on their smartphone every day, checks their phones 80 to 150 times a day, spends four hours of television a day. Now that's abiding, but it's abiding with the wrong person. And I have to ask myself, do I enjoy spending more t time more with media or with Jesus? I believe, friends, that God wants us to abide in him. Number seven, there were several verses that talked about standing fast until he comes. Let's go to Philippians chapter three. Here's the verse about the second coming, verse 20. For our citizenship is in North Carolina. Is that what it says? Hmm. Even though I do officially belong here, I have a license plate and a driver's license from North Carolina, my citizenship and your citizenship is where? In heaven, friends from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to even subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, what's Paul's advice? Jesus is coming soon. What's his advice? Therefore, my longed for brethren, my joy and crown. He calls the church of Philippi his joy and crown. Here's his advice. Stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord. Have you ever been in a fast-moving creek or, or, or river, and it's really coming at you, it's up at your waist, and, and, and you're feeling knocked off your feet? Sometimes the current of the world is like that. And in order to really stand fast, you have to grab other Christians around you. God, we need each other in the church, don't we? That's why we're here. We need Jesus. Jesus is the best anchor, friends. One of my favorite baptisms that I did was at uh, in Yakima, Washington, in a canal behind a blueberry farm and it was a pretty quick moving canal and as I was baptizing this kid I really had to plant my feet and I told his name was Alex afterwards because as I brought Alex back up and I let go for just a minute he started you know kind of going down because he was still in the water and I grabbed him and I told him you know that's a good illustration because the devil after your baptism is going to try to take you off into the world but the way that we remain steadfast is that we anchor our feet in Jesus and he will hold our hands, friends. Let's stand fast. Number eight, increase in love. There were three verses that I found. We'll go to 1 Thessalonians this time. There's a couple of verse, verses, books over. 1 Thessalonians chapter three and verse 12 and 13. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. How are we established in blameless in holiness? Well, if God increases and it abounds our love toward each other. And I pray, friends, that God will increase our love. The General Conference at one of their annual meetings came out with some interesting statistics. They found that over the last, and I think 55 years, there have been 40 million people who have been part of our church. Now, does anyone know what our membership is right now? About 21 million, 22 million. It used to be 40. That's a, that's a lot. It's actually uh, you know, a little, little more than that, but, but look at this. Our net loss rate is 40%. Of those, 16 million have chosen to leave. 40% of people who have become Seventh-day Adventists end up walking out the door. Now, why is that? Is that because of bad theology? Is that because they're upset at, you know, uh, uh, something that they learned in Scripture? Sometimes, but usually it's not. Most of the time, the reason that people leave is because of people. They say that when someone comes into the church, they need to have at least eight friends or eight acquaintances in order to stay. Every single person that gets baptized in this church, friends, we should surround them with a whole lot of love. And I want to challenge you because there are people here at this church that have recently been baptized. And I want to challenge you to surround them. Find out. Go ask Judah to say, give me the list of all the people in the last five years who have joined our church. Call them up and say, hey, let's meet up together. Take them out to eat. If you don't have a lot of money, take them to Taco Bell. They got a dollar menu. It's no longer a dollar Take them out to eat. If you don't want to take them out to eat, say, hey, can we meet at a park? Pray with them. Please, friends, I'm serious about this. Take that seriously, that challenge. 
Because I, I believe, friends, that the way that we change the statistic is by Jesus increasing our love and concern for other people. Number nine, let's go to Hebrews. There's only one verse in this category. It's like, I can't fit this in any other category. Hebrews 10.25. Let's look at what the verse tells us. Hebrews 10.25. And we're gonna start at the last part of the verse. So if you're there in your, your Bibles, Hebrews 10.25, look at the last part of the verse. It says, so much the more as you see, does it say the Super Bowl approaching? What does it say? The day. What is that talking about? The second coming. As you see the day approaching, what should we do? Well, let's go to the first part of the verse. Verse 25, Paul says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhort one another. Friends, we need to go to church. It is important. I, I believe that with all my heart, and I know, friends, I know that it is a challenge to wake up and come to church. And you're like, why are you telling us this? We're in church, Pastor Jim. I, I know, I know, right? But maybe you don't come very often. Maybe there's someone that's watching online, and I know there are things that, that are happening at home that, that make it difficult to come. I understand that. But if possible, friends, it's important to have this body of believers so we can hang on to each other as the current approaches us, friends. And if there is someone that's watching online that can't come because they don't have a ride, who's willing to give them a ride? D dead serious question, right? We have one, two, three, all right? Praise the Lord. We have a whole lot of people that are willing to give you rides, so contact the church office and we will show up and bring you to church. I encourage us friends to assemble ourselves together. And lastly, let's go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22 and verse seven. Several times in these last few chapters, John the Revelator records Jesus saying, behold, I am coming how? Quickly. Look at verse 20, he says it again. Surely I'm, I'm coming quickly. Verse 12, I'm coming quickly. Verse seven, our verse we'll be looking at, behold, I'm coming quickly. Time and time again, I am coming quickly. So if Jesus is coming soon, do you believe he's coming soon? Hopefully we've established that. We are Seventh-day Adventists. Advent means the soon return of Jesus. If Jesus is coming soon, what should we do? Last piece of advice that John gives us. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And he's specifically talking about Revelation. I believe, friends, that one of the best books that we can study and read in these last days is the book of Revelation and its twin book, the book of Daniel. Because I believe, friends, these books make a difference. How do we prepare? We could answer that question a lot of different ways. Hopefully these scripture passages helped us to say, God, what can I do? Lord, what do you want me to do to prepare? And I, I pray that you would study this list, that you would ask God, Lord, convict me about one of these that I can do a better job of. And as we stand on Jesus and abide in him, I believe, friends, that by God's grace, we're gonna be ready. In conclusion, there was a home in Kentucky, and this home was called the Shepherd's Home. And it was a home for children who were orphans, specifically that had disabilities. They didn't have parents, and they, they had certain physical challenges, and, and, and they were brought to this home called the Shepherd's Home in the state of Kentucky. And the director of this home one day was showing a friend of his the shepherd's home, giving him a tour. They were always bringing people in and out. They needed donors and support, and people would come and look at the ministry that they were doing. And it was a Christian ministry. that They would teach these young kids about Jesus. And the friend noticed as they came into the house that the windows had smudges all over them. 
In fact, not just smudges, but handprints all over the window. Handprints, handprints, handprints. Huge, big picture window at the front of the house that looked over the beautiful valley and, and picture windows or, or, or smudges on this beautiful big picture window. And the friend knew that this was a, a quality facility. They had people that would come and help clean it, and so, so he asked. I know you have, you have kids here, but, but why are there so many handprints on those windows? And the director that day told his friend something that convicted him. He said, we have taught these kids that Jesus is coming soon. We have taught these kids that their best friend Jesus is coming soon to take them home, that one day they will have no more disabilities, that one day they'll have no more physical ailments, that one day they will get to run and play and laugh freely in heaven, and that their God is coming back to pick them up personally. They taught these kids that we need to be ready for a soon return to watch and pray. And the director of that home said, our kids take that literally. That every single day, every single day, after they have worship, they have a tradition where all of the kids go to the window, they press their hands against the window and their noses against the window, and they look out looking for Jesus. Is Jesus coming back today? Is he coming back today? Friends, I believe that we need to have our hands and noses to the windows. That we need to have our hands and noses to the windows and our eyes to the skies and say, is he coming back today? To watch and pray. To have hearts of expectancy for that soon return. Because Jesus is coming soon. And if you, friends, if you today want to put your hands and your noses on the window looking for Jesus' soon return, I want to invite you to just raise your hand if you want to be ready for Jesus' soon return, 